It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, girl. Hey, welcome back to Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast. I am your host, Carrie. And I am Larissa. Hello. Oh my God, I get so excited when we record. Huh? I know. I haven't talked to you in like three months. I know. What has happened? It's I think we both fell off. Yeah. Summer. It's called kids. It's it's called commitments. Yeah. Obligations, right? Mm-hmm. But that Too doesn't mean like there. both of us has been super obsessed with certain things, though. Because we do a lot of back and forth. We do a lot of back and forth article sending. (laughs) Yeah, we do article sending. We do texting. We do, oh my God, I hope this doesn't happen to me, but it happened to someone else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always feel bad. I feel like I should be secretly recording before we come on air because that's when we always talk about like, we're very unguarded, but that's when we talk about the interesting shit. And then I'm like, oh, let me record this. And then we get on and then we're both like cardboard. So please- Please repeat what you were saying right before I pushed record. Oh, about the earth swallowing up my neighborhood? Yeah. I am so scared of quicksand or sinkholes. They like eat people and houses and stuff. Did you not? It's in the Los Angeles time. All I've been hearing is choppers flying around about a mile away from us, mile and a half away from us in our same zip code, Rolling Hills Estates. A fissure has opened up. And it's swallowing homes. They had to evacuate 12 homes. They're just. From Sky 5 HD Tuesday, there was clearer evidence that the homes on Pear Tree Lane had sank even further. But one big unanswered question is, what is causing it? Really, there's only three things that are controlling whether you have a landslide or not. And that's the the steepness of the hillside. Uh, and the underlying rock type that's underneath that hillside and the the water saturation in the rocks or the soil. And so the topography, the steepness doesn't really change that fast and neither the rock type never changes. So it's really got to be something to do with the water. I'm like, what's the difference between a sinkhole and a fissure? I still don't know that. And I'm sure that you'll find some soundbite to explain the difference, yeah. difference between a sinkhole and a fissure. But these houses are just sliding into this fissure, which isn't necessarily a canyon, but not a sinkhole. So I don't know. I always thought that fissure, I can't mm-hmm. even say it. I always thought that had to do with like, like stuff you need lidocaine for after Anal you have a baby. Fissures? Yes. Yeah, is, that, is it the it same does. word? Because I was like, it's, it's the same word. Yes. I did not even know that. Okay, I'm glad. Your b-hole can get a little simple fissure. It's very painful from what I understand. And the behind there doctor has to go in and conduct a a down there quiz with the affected area. And then they give you a little bit of medication to heal that fissure. But it's, and that's the it's same a crack, term, right? It's, yeah, it's that's right. Oh, wow. Okay. Imagine if you could fit a house in an anal fissure. That is crazy. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even know it was the same term. That's why I'm like, are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah. Should I look this up right now? Yeah, I do feel like. And meaning? is it covered by insurance? Like, how does that work? I don't think it is. No? I don't think it is. Okay. So 
A fissure is a long, narrow opening or line of breakage made by cracking or splitting, especially in rock or earth, or someone's behind. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> oh, thanks, WebMD. Split or crack something to form a long, narrow opening. Yeah, so that's not a sinkhole. And this is not happening because you guys are having earthquakes. This is just no, like the, the did you have you been getting a lot of rain or something? Is it causing Well, we got rain for like four months straight, but they don't know what this is they don't know why this is being caused because I was looking at pictures. You can look it up online and there yeah. the choppers are going over and you just hear this crack, 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 like the house is cracking. And then you look at when it falls, the earth is not moist or wet. But they did say there was a water leak. And I'm like, yeah, there's bound to be a water leak if your house is yeah. cracking in two, right? Can we play a really bad game right now where I say, okay. would you rather? Yes. Would you rather definitely. have like a sinkhole, like a random sinkhole that just like, it just randomly appears? Or would you ha- rather have this, I can't even say the word, fizz, fizzer, f- fissure? Uh, neither. I would rather have nine. You, know, you have to. You have to pick one or the other. You cannot oh. avoid this natural disaster. You have um, to. I would say the fissure only because it seems to be happening gradually. Granted, the families only had like 20 minutes to get out of yeah. their house. But a sinkhole happens immediately. And like, where do sinkholes lead? Sinkholes lead. Am I going to the core? Yeah, that's why it's I so fall? scary. Am I going to another dimension? Am I going to China? Am I going to hell? Like, where do they go? In 10 years since this sinkhole opened up underneath a home in Sefner, swallowed a man who was sleeping in his bed, never saw it coming. That sinkhole reopened, though, overnight last night. If you've lived here long enough, you probably remember that story. It made international headlines in February of 2013. And despite their best efforts, first responders were not able to rescue Jeffrey Bush, and his body was never found. Okay, volcano or earthquake? Volcano, because at least they can kind of plan like I would never live in a place where I'm like right on the side of a hill but mm-hmm. earthquake can happen at any time middle of the, I mean a volcano can also but you can record more yeah like, there's certain signs that something's gonna blow there are no signs for earthquakes Jesse Langford was 19 when Fakadi erupted. He says he was hit by a wall of black, but somehow made it out of the crater and into the arms of a rescuer, despite his extreme pain. Adam Hollingworth reports. Adventure junkie Jesse Langford jumped at the chance to go to Fakadi White Island while on a cruise with his parents and sister. At no point did I sign a waiver or did my mum. Um, and I really doubt that my father would have either. His dad paid the $1,600 for the whole family to go, but only Jesse returned. Just based off what I read, I thought it was t- perfectly safe, and I would have presumed so. In a pre-recorded interview from his Sydney home, he said safety protocols amounted to sticking close to the guides. The main guide, Hayden Inman Marshall, suggested they put on their gas masks if the gases got too overwhelming. I thought it was... Um, ironic considering he didn't have a mask at all. Langford said it felt uncomfortable and eerie as they approached the lake. We just heard like a loud bang and it looked like a black firework um, with a black tail just shot up into the sky. And then a couple of seconds later there was another one. And everyone just turned around and started taking photos thinking this was really cool. 
described the bangs increased in intensity and he described the black cloud as being like the Dementors in the Harry Potter movies. Then Hayden Marshall Inman yelled for everyone to run. The last thing I saw was just the whole lake just lifting up in a massive explosion and everyone was just running. Jesse's father, Anthony, was struggling to breathe. His mother, Christine, wasn't moving and he couldn't see his 17-year-old sister, Winona. Soon the screams began to dissipate as he contemplated what to do. I was just sitting with my legs out in front of me, um, upright, just looking around like in disbelief. And then I made the decision that I couldn't physically help anyone myself, but I thought that I could help by at least walking out and telling someone that we were still alive. He made the toughest decision of his life. It still bothers me making making the decision to get up and walk away. It was a very difficult decision to make. So I pretty much just said my goodbyes as best as I could and got up and started walking. It was an agonising journey till he came across a man with a walkie-talkie who sounded like he was about to leave. I yelled at him and I, and I yelled for help. Um, and he turned, he turned around and his reaction was pretty much just, holy shit. They eventually got on the boat where Jesse took control, telling medics what to give him. I was pretty much just telling him how to do, do his job, really. He was being a bit of a smartass. I was just in there, I was like, just knock me out. I don't want to be awake anymore. Um, I've already been in too much pain. Jesse Langford woke up in a Sydney ICU eight days later. Tornado or hurricane? Uh, this means you're in like Oklahoma or you're in Florida. I'm going to say hurricane because the, you get a pretty big advance when a hurricane's coming. Tornado, my mom, they had to take my mom to the basement just like three days ago because within 10 minutes, things escalated so much. The tornado sirens were going off and it was like a legit scare. So, and I grew up with yeah. tornadoes and they're, you're, you get a little bit of a warning. But hurricane, I feel like you get days warning. Mm -hmm. Tornadoes. Big, funnel-shaped clouds that can rip through a community and leave a wake of destruction. They can form in seconds, change direction in a heartbeat, and their devastation can last a lifetime. Exactly how and why tornadoes occur is still a bit of a mystery, but an indication that one is forming is a wall cloud. Fast-moving winds roll air below into a horizontal vortex above opposing surface winds, similar to a spinning tube. Warmed by the sun, buoyant air near the ground begins to lift a section of the horizontal vortex into a vertical position. The vortex extends toward the ground. As it picks up speed, anything in its path can be ripped apart or thrown in the air. Upper-level winds tilt the rotating updraft, called a mesocyclone, this allows the storm to keep growing as warm air is sucked into the storm away from the cool downdraft. The vortex spins like a top, sometimes up to 300 miles per hour. And while some tornadoes move slowly, others can travel over the ground at speeds of over 110 miles per hour. The widest tornado ever recorded, the May 2013 El Reno tornado in Oklahoma, was 2.6 miles across. That's wider across than Manhattan. Research has allowed us to identify the essential ingredients needed for twisters to form in the U.S. Warm, moist air, typically from the Gulf of Mexico, cool air, typically from Canada, and dry air, typically from the Rockies. 
When these air masses collide, they create the perfect conditions for a tornado. Um, would you do a tsunami? How about you? Wait, you didn't answer me. Oh, no, you? I got another. No, I have another worst case scenario for you because it actually okay, is okay. connected to a story I'm following. Okay. It's, it's semi-boring, but the heart of the disaster is the thing that still scares me. Oh, God. Yeah. So this is actually a really great segue. So would you rather do a tsunami or would you rather be stuck out on a boat in the middle of a storm? Like the perfect storm or are you going to be on shore and get the tsunami? Tsunami. Oh, God. Now this this is bringing up the submersible thing. There's no death worse. And what's going on in Japan too. That's why I was like, would you rather Wait, what's going on in Japan? Okay. So this is... Did you watch a long time ago, K-19 Widowmaker? I think Harrison Ford was in it. And it was about the disaster that happened with a Russian sub where the nuclear reactor like overheated and these men exposed themselves to all this radiation. Like They soon after died, but they averted this big disaster. And of course, it was all swept under the rug. It's really terrible. January 21st, 1954. The USS Nautilus is launched. It's a key moment in the Cold War. Nautilus is the world's first nuclear-powered submarine. Patrolling the world's oceans at 23 knots, she is fast. And unlike diesel submarines, Nautilus can stay submerged for weeks at a time. For the next five years, the United States dominates the seas. Finally, the Soviets respond. Their nuclear sub is called K-19, but it earns the nickname the Widowmaker. Several people have died in its construction. We now know the construction had been too hasty. Too many things have been rushed in the attempt to catch up with the Americans and the technology that they were using to get this submarine out to sea. In July 1961, K-19 was off the coast of Greenland on an exercise designed to show that Soviet nuclear technology now matched the Americans. It was a false claim with dire consequences. A pipe ruptured in K-19's nuclear reactor. The reactor overheats and the cooling system fails. There is no backup. K-19's captain, Nikolai Zetayev, was faced with the terrifying prospect of a nuclear explosion. But he and his crew kept their heads. A group of courageous engineers entered the compartment just above the reactor to try and repair the damage. They're only wearing raincoats and gas masks. They have no other defense against the radiation. And they construct this alternative cooling system. Amazingly, their hastily made device works. And the temperature slowly comes down. With the threat of a nuclear explosion now over, K-19 limped home. Captain Nikolai Zetayev was proclaimed a hero, but at a cost. Seven of the engineering team died of radiation exposure within two months. Fifteen more crew members died within two years. There's so many cases of in history where people saved the day, but yet... It was hidden. So I I just watched the Japanese version. So there's something going on with that right now. On March 11th, there was a relaxed atmosphere at work. 
I was at my computer writing reports. Before that day, we'd had a few earthquakes around magnitude four. Then I think it was about 2.46 p.m. I felt an incredible rumbling in the earth. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. The earthquake that shook the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant was the most powerful to strike Japan since records began. The company that operates the plant, TEPCO, has forbidden its workers from speaking publicly about what followed. But one year on, they are starting to tell their stories. Some have asked for their identities to be hidden for fear of being fired. I saw all the pipes fixed to the wall, shifting and ripping off. It was getting stronger and stronger. This was no ordinary quake. We were all on our knees, holding onto the railings. Then the power was cut. The workers stayed calm because they knew Japanese power plants are designed to withstand earthquakes. The reactors automatically shut down within seconds. But the high radioactivity of nuclear fuel rods means they generate intense heat even after a shutdown. So backup generators kicked in to power the cooling systems and stop the fuel rods from melting. I wasn't worried about the condition of the plant. I'd always thought nuclear power was safe. But in the end, the plant wasn't safe, was it? Just up the coast, the fishermen of Fukushima knew what was coming next. It's always been said on the shore, the tsunami will follow the earthquake. The biggest of the waves was more than 40 feet high and traveling at over 100 miles an hour. At 3.35 p.m., the biggest of the waves struck. It was more than twice the height of the plant's seawall. It's now known that TEPCO had been warned by a government committee of scientists in 2009 that its tsunami defenses were inadequate. The company says it was still reviewing the matter when the disaster happened. Now, the tsunami flooded the nuclear plant. The port area was trashed. I felt something incredible had happened. This man is a senior nuclear engineer who still works at the plant. Cars had been left everywhere by the wave. Buildings and 5,000 ton fuel tanks were sucked out to sea. I watched them slowly sinking. Most of the backup diesel generators needed to power the cooling systems were located in basements. They were destroyed by the tsunami waters, meaning the workers had no way of keeping the nuclear fuel from melting. Do you remember when all that happened and those people were staying through the night trying to avoid disaster? It's on Netflix, I think. The Japanese version. Yes, I just watched. Oh, yes. Always wondered what happened to them. Did they get the... Because I remembered K-19 Widowmaker that these people... Yeah. So I was trying to Google it. This was before that came out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And then Unsolved Mysteries came out with an episode where people were seeing ghosts there. Did you hear about that? That people, like, literally, they had a story of somebody getting in a cab and they weren't... Or a taxi, whatever they have in Japan. 
and they didn't exist. Like they asked to oh, be. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, like they crazy. turned around and they were gone. So I was like, why is there no stories about what, where did these people go? Well, now there's this story coming out that I guess Korea or China right now is disagreeing because they have too much water and they at the reactor and they did testing on it and they want to release it into the water, like the ocean. And oh, they God. said that the levels were so low, but I don't know if it's Korea or China. One of them is like, I think it was Korea is not happy about it, even though they're saying that the levels of are so low of Radi- the radiation, radiation levels, but it's yeah. literally coming from the plant that wow. they're having an overflow of water. But yeah, it took the tsunami that swept the shore in 2011 caused one of the worst nuclear accidents in history, a meltdown of the Fukushima reactors. More than a decade later, engineers are still working to remove radioactive debris. And meanwhile, another problem is piling up in these tanks. Experts for TEPCO, the company in charge, explained they've collected so much radioactive water from rain and runoff over the years, they kept having to add tanks to contain it. Now, 12 years in, these tanks are almost full of water more than a million tons of it. And TEPCO says the only solution is to start getting rid of it. By piping it into the sea next to the plant. For Haru Ono, who's been fishing this ocean all his life, that is an outrage. It's not a garbage dump, he tells me. They say it's safe, but the consequences could be 50 years down the road. There will be no consequences, says TEPCO, because its technology removes all radioactive compounds from the water except one, tritium, which stays in but is diluted to meet international standards. So even when the water is piped back into the sea, TEPCO says fish from Fukushima will be safe to eat. And it's raising some inside the nuclear plant to prove it. In this lab are fish, flounder, that are living in water with the same level of radiation as the water that is going to be released back into the sea. The tritium certainly hasn't affected their appetites. These are lively. And tests show that back in normal seawater, they flush it out of their systems. The International Atomic Energy Agency broadly backs the tritium-laced water release, but will consumers actually eat the fish? Unlikely, says Haruo Ono, who is now looking at the end of his livelihood. The human cost of the Fukushima meltdown will weigh on Japan for decades to come, and so will the dollar cost of the cleanup, nearly $90 billion so far and counting. It's all related because I was like, because I want to talk about the submersible and then I was giving you like worst case scenario. And then I just heard about this. No. So they want to release the water, the reactor water. Now they have too much. Yeah. They didn't have enough. Now they have too much and they want to release it into the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Which by the way, for a while, weren't there radioactive fish and all the life that were washing up after that? A lot of their diet consists of seafood. So one of them is saying that they're not cooperate. They said that, hey, we didn't sign off on this, even though you're telling us the the rates would be low enough. But where else does that water go? You can't yeah. do you let it go into the groundwater and it hits the crops. Do you let it go in the ocean, which our oceans already? No, they're going to let it go in the ocean. It. I was just having this conversation with Jake on the way. He's taking summer school to mm-hmm. uh, increase his writing skills. Oh, that little boy. And um. 
he's doing, he, they can do any type of story they want. N- normally it's essays and we want to prepare them for college essays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the eighth grade. Hello. <laughs> uh, so California. So, um, so they said, you can write anything you want. And he goes, I want to write like a horror story in the woods, like a monster in the woods. I'm like, well, did it come from a nuclear poisoning? <laughs> like, and I forget that he has not seen all these horrible films about, you yeah. know, we went to Chernobyl and we, our Jeep got yeah, yeah, stuck. Yeah. And then we got mauled by these strange radioactive creatures. Yeah. Or the mist, goes, like Stephen King. Like, the yeah, he's like, oh, he did see the mist. And he goes, what are you talking about on the radioactive? I'm like, dude. It's a real thing. Women who it were is. pregnant at the time had some scary, scary, you know, um, births. So uh, the yeah. one that really scares me isn't it the Zika virus yes. where the babies really come out with um, yeah um, small, abnormalities? Yeah, small. Is hydrocephalus? What's the opposite of that? Where it's a small, tiny skull? Yeah, it's so the whole thing is sad to me. Chill, darling. still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinion of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, 
Please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.